Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Building the Ballot. I am Adam Dorowski, and here it is. This is the reaction episode. So we're going to talk about the official ballots that were dropped uh, about a week plus ago, a week and a few days. So we got the early baseball era, which is baseball up through 1949. And then the Golden Days era ballot, 1950 to 1969. Both ballots came out the same day. They will both be uh, reviewed and the results will be announced uh, on December 5th. So it's it's happening in less than a month. So all of this, uh, all these podcast episodes leading up to this, it's all happening now. So it's very exciting. And to discuss the ballots with me, of course, we have Graham Womack. Graham, welcome back. Hello, Adam. Long time no see, my friend. I know it's been a while. I, I have a mental note here to uh, to remind myself to ask you during the course of this uh, series, have you uh, made any more progress on your book that uh, I'm dying to read? No, no, not yet. And I, 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 that is something that is something I intend to eventually write for anybody listening who's not familiar with me. Uh, so Adam and I and there's a handful of other people are, are probably some of the most obsessed Hall of Fame enthusiasts out there. And there's not a great book really on the Veterans Committee or Era Committee process. There are good books that touch on it, but there's nothing really expressly devoted to really digging into it. So at some point I will write that book. Like it's it's not an if, it's a when, but honestly at this point, I I really haven't done much more than say repeatedly that I am gonna do this. So at some point I need to actually dig in, but that, that day has not come yet. Well, uh, this whole cycle, uh, I guess, could just be seen as research for the book. So you're you're actively working on it, I'm sure. Absolutely. Even right now, we are we are working on it. <laughs> Absolutely. So one more thing we could plug is another uh, uh, Graham Womack Dorowski uh, collaboration here. We've uh, so Graham has created. This came up in multiple episodes. I think even the Jay Jaffe episode. Graham created this spreadsheet of every not only veterans committee ballot appearance, but every time a candidate was considered, it's tough to explain. So before 2003, uh, veterans committee was completely closed door. The only time you heard anything was just getting a sentence or two in the newspapers. Graham went through all the newspaper announcements, collected all those to see when candidates were considered. We have more full data since 2003, but Graham created a spreadsheet with all of this and uh, I worked with Graham and we built a website where it's easily filterable and sortable. So you can check anytime if you wanna see what Tony Oliva's Veterans Committee results have been or something like that. So that is at Dorowski.com, D-A-R-O-W-S-K-I.com slash vets, V-E-T-S. So if you're interested in this stuff, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. You can check that out. It's a, another nice little resource for Hall of Fame enthusiasts like ourselves. So thank you very much for opening up that data and allowing me to, to make a neat little website to share with people. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I, I've, been, I've been hoping you'd do this for the last few years. And it, it came out exactly as good as I was hoping. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's um, basically my research goes back six years. I, I found, I think, more than 2,000 candidates. One of the big things I found is that the same players tend to get considered a lot um even on these ballots that we're going to discuss in a second like Paul Dolan has been up a whole heck of a lot of times and he, he should be in but he's he's one of kind of what I like to call a perma candidate who just comes up again and again and periodically these guys do get in so it, it's worth paying attention to who they are so let's let's go ahead and we're going to jump right into the early baseball era first because I think that one has a lot more of the talking points so if you get like if we get like really deep into this episode and you're like, oh gosh, we're only on the first one. 
I don't think the golden days era is going to have quite as much to talk about. So let's go into the early baseball era ballot. So I'm going to fire off the names just to remind ourselves and, and the listeners. So Bill Dowlin, uh, this is alphabetical, John Donaldson, Bud Fowler, Vic Harris, Grant Home Run Johnson, Lefty O'Doul, Buck O'Neill, Cannonball Dick Redding, Allie Reynolds, and George Tubby Scales. Uh, those are the 10 names. Do you have an initial reaction to that? Yeah, no, when when the Hall of Fame's uh, press release showed up in my email inbox and I, you know, and I looked over it, I was really pleasantly kind of astonished. I mean, you know, I I when when the Hall of Fame announced that Negro Leaguers would be up for consideration again, on one hand, I was really happy because, you know, what happened to Buck O'Neill is just a, a massive injustice and he should have been in in his lifetime and he shouldn't have had to give the, you know, the induction speech for all those all those dead people they inducted, who, many of whom were deserving, many if not all. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've all been waiting 15 years for Buck O'Neill to, you know, to be up for consideration again. What I wasn't expecting was that we'd also have another six Negro League uh, or Negro Major Leaguers, you know, many of them during the era of Major League. But I didn't expect we'd have that many of them up for consideration. And even beyond that, the, the ones who are on this ballot, like it's, it's, they're all almost to a man. It's, it's all really good candidates for the Negro leaguers. And then you have Bill Dolan, who's worthy. You have Lefty O'Doul, who, I mean, we've talked about him before. He's somebody who could at the very least be in as an ambassador. And then you've got Allie Reynolds. Okay. I mean, he's one of those other PERMA candidates who comes right. up again and again and again, and he probably won't get in this time. He'll probably be up again for consideration in the future and keep some worthy candidate off the ballot. Now, I don't want to knock him too much because he was part of some great Yankee teams, but there are other people who should be on this ballot aside from Allie Reynolds. I'm, I'm sure we agree on that. But, right. uh, but yeah, that was my initial reaction was I, I did not expect seven Negro leaguers to make this ballot out of 10. And I, I think that's awesome. I, I think that that's, that's a great place to start. That was my number one talking point, the seven Negro League or pre, uh, pre-Negro League candidates. Yeah. So like you said, this is the first time they've been uh, considered in 15 years. The last time was in 2006 for the Committee on African-American Baseball. And just a reminder of what that process was, a whole bunch of players were named and then quite a bit fewer uh, finalists were named. I think 31 finalists or something like that. And then 17 were elected. Now, five of these candidates were among those finalists, and that's John Donaldson, Grant Home Run Johnson, Buck O'Neill, of course, Cannonball Dick Redding, and George Tubby Scales. They were all finalists. The two that were not finalists are Bud Fowler, who is a 19th century uh, player, uh, manager, uh, pioneer. He was considered probably the first uh, African-American professional player. He played in the integrated minor leagues before the color line was drawn, started the page fence giants along with Grant home run Johnson. He was just a kind of, well, I guess you could say an overlooked legend to the point that uh, I I'm a co-chair of the Sabre overlooked legends committee. And he was our 2020 selection. That was a, a pretty amazing selection to make in 2020 with the whole climate of the country and seeing Bud Fowler get named there. And then, Quite honestly, seeing him make his first Hall of Fame ballot after that is really, really uh, a nice thing to see. 
So he was one of the non-finalists. The other one, uh, I think, is a very compelling candidate, uh, Vic Harris. And I know that Vic Harris was someone that you mentioned you didn't really know too much about going into this this podcast series. But then when I asked you to name your early baseball era ballots uh, way back in episode six or whatever it was, Vic Harris was on it. So that was that was impressive. Um, So great to see them. Any uh, any reaction to the whole uh, finalist, non-finalist breakdown there? Yeah, Vic Harris is why you never, ever, you know, close the door on any era or segment of baseball history for the Hall of Fame. There's always more that we can learn. There's, that's one of the things I love about studying baseball history. There are these Vic Harris's who are out there just waiting to surprise me. Like six months ago, I don't think I had any idea who he was. I, I didn't know that name. And now it's like, yeah, he's maybe the best manager in baseball history who is not in the hall of fame, mm-hmm. you know, um, who, who's eligible. Um, you know, I mean, it's, there are others who you can maybe debate, but Harris is right up there and it's, it's, it's wonderful to see him on this. And then, yeah, as far as Bud Fowler, I mean, you know, um, he's another, I, I've known who he was a bit longer. Um, I, I, I think his name might've come up in my project on the 50 best players, not in the hall of fame where I would have people vote. I mean, home run Johnson definitely came up in that. That's where I learned who he was and other guys like John Beckwith who who didn't make this ballot. Um, But um, but Fowler is another person who it's great to be seeing him getting attention. And it just highlights the monstrous injustice of, you know, barring black players basically after reconstruction from, from playing professional baseball. You know, Bud Fowler should have been the first of, of many, many, you know, black stars in, you know, in the National American League in the late 19th century and early 20th century. And then unfortunately, yeah, we, we, we go all the way basically until Jackie Robinson in the 40s. And that's just, it's, it's just, it's so sad. Um, but it, it's very good even now to be bringing his name up and getting him recognition. And I'll be curious to see how he does, you know, on this ballot. One thing that I only realized just now going through these names, this is not in my notes, is how heavily this list leans towards the pre-major uh, Negro Leagues. So uh, it was 1920 to 1948 that Major League Baseball announced that they are now recognizing those Negro Leagues as major leagues. And many of these candidates come from the leagues that were formed before that. So Bud Fowler coming very first. Home Run Johnson played into the 20th century. Cannonball Dick Redding uh, started up around the same time, I think, as John Donaldson shortly after that in the teens or early 1910s. And really from that uh, major Negro League era, we have Tubby Scales, Buck O'Neill, and Vic Harris. So four candidates. And I think that that's that's probably a good thing because we were very light on African-American pioneers in the, the 2006 class. We had um, Frank Grant, who was really the only, well, I guess we had like Cumberland Posey, Saul White, but in terms of like 19th century, it was just Frank Grant. Uh, So it's nice to see some of these early stars get this recognition. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we've we've talked before how there's definitely segments of black baseball that really aren't represented in the Hall of Fame, like where are the black umpires in the Hall of Fame, you know, Mm -hmm. even black managers. um, And yeah. No, I, have, I haven't dived into it a ton or, or dove into it a ton, but yeah, pre-1920 Black contributors in the Hall of Fame, I, I'd honestly be curious to know when it, when it totals out just how many of them there are overall. Yeah, it's, it's not too many, uh, which I think that this ballot does help make up for that. 
of course, we'll have to see who gets in. Now, among the candidates that we're maybe surprised not to see, uh, you mentioned John Beckwith. I thought he had some pretty good momentum, so I was surprised that he wasn't on. I was probably even more surprised that Dick Lundy wasn't on this ballot. Yeah. And then Dobie Moore is one. I, I'm not even sure if they would consider him as eligible, but that's that's all very difficult to nail down with the Negro League players because they had very different uh, leagues available to them at the time. Like he was playing when in the military because he was not able to play in the major league. So that's why he was there. So I, I, I hope that he would be considered eligible and that he was just left off because there wasn't room. This is a great ballot. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely the seven candidates who are on here are great, but that is not the entirety of, of good black candidates who are not in the hall of fame. I mean, aside from the guys you mentioned, Newt Allen comes to mind, Alexander mm-hmm. Holmes, uh, Oh gosh, I mean, Double Duty Radcliffe is a, is a personal personal favorite of mine. Uh, Heavy Johnson, I would throw in there too. Who, who's that? Heavy Johnson, Oscar Johnson. Oh, okay, yeah, no, that and that that's actually even a name I I, I don't know as well. But I, I was going to say Spotted Switch Holes is a, is another fun mm. one. Um, I mean, there definitely there are there are more. I mean, you know, there certainly are now. Um, not everything about this ballot is the Negro Leagues and pre Negro Leagues. And not everything about this ballot was great. Uh, one thing that I was kind of devastated about was the lack of inclusion for Doc Adams. Uh, I know how I feel about that. So I'll just let you tell me how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if I could wave a magic wand, I, I could gently remove Allie Reynolds from this ballot and put Doc <laughs> Adams on in his place. I mean, it's Adams is a dramatically better candidate. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I... I do have to think, you know, Adams, I think he fell a vote shy the last time he was up for consideration. Um, and it's, it's unusual for somebody to come that close and then not even make the next ballot. But, you know, in the interim, I think it's been, what, five, six years. Um, his great-granddaughter, Marjorie Adams, who was really boosting his case, and we, we had both talked to her. She sadly passed away. And I, I do wonder if his omission from this ballot you know, might have been in some way connected to that, because I... You know, I, she she was really just raising this case so passionately. And if, if you lose even one big advocate, that, that maybe can make a difference. I will say, too, that those sort of cases sometimes, and this, is, this isn't any reflection on her, I'm thinking of some other stuff, but the, those really passionate cases can also backfire sometimes. I, I know some of those people, and they, I won't name anybody, you know, on here, but they can get kind of annoying sometimes. Yeah, I, I think Marjorie Adams, her campaign you know, those, those vocal, um, passionate, perhaps borderline aggressive in some cases, candidates, uh, the advocates for their candidates can make things happen. Doc Adams is probably a, an example of how like one person can make a difference there. It's, it's not just Marjorie though. I, I feel terrible for the work that John Thorne has put in like that one, like, oh, it just, he has, he's written so much. I, I feel like I mean, just to go over the timeline again. So Marjorie starts this grassroots campaign. Uh, and of course, Doc is writing his book. Doc, not, not Doc. <laughs> John Thorne is writing his book, which talks about Doc Adams and, and many of the early early uh, pioneers of baseball in the Garden of Eden. That is the title of the book. He was the 2014 Saber Overlook legend. So this has been building in 2016. Well, winter of 2015-16, that's when he appeared on the pre-integration ballot for the very first time, got 10 out of 16. So he fell a couple shy, but very close. And then April of 2016, that's when his laws of baseball 
was discovered, released, and sold at auction for three point two million. So that that was seen at the time of oh, if that had come out right before he was considered, that would have been enough to push him over. So yeah, everybody, John, John was talking about that on Twitter recently as like being like the baseball Magna Carta. And uh, right. yeah, no, aside from Marjorie Adams, you're absolutely right. Yeah, John's work. I mean, he's sort of possibly why we know who Doc Adams is right now. You know, right. I, John is what, 40 years ago at the New York Public Library listened to Sporting News Archives. <laughs> and he, he finds the interview that Doc Adams gave in like 1897, uh, where he's talking about, you know, baseball had no fatter. It, it just growed. I mean, is yeah. <laughs> that, that where that quote comes from? <laughs> right. I, I, I think that might be a, um, a Chadwick quote, but yeah. Um, um, but I might be wrong there. Yeah. So that one, honestly, the word I could use is, is really devastating. Like I, I, I can't believe that. So now this momentum is gone and this group of candidates will not be considered for another 10 years. I have a feeling that the Negro league candidates may be up for consideration earlier than 10 years. I think they might realize, oh, we can't just close the book again for another 10 years now that we just reopened it. Doc Adams, that won't happen. He, I, I don't think that they're going to be reconsidering the pre-1950 white leagues or whatever we want to call it um, in another decade, uh, early sooner than another decade. So it's, I don't know, it's very frustrating to see all of that momentum stop. Yeah. Now, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I completely agree with you. I mean, and I, you know, the Veterans Committee or the Hall of Fame is constantly tweaking the process for what it used to call the Veterans Committee and what for the last decade or so it's called the ERA Committees. So it's it's constantly moving the goalposts ever so slightly on this process. And I'll be curious to see if in 10 years, if we have the same process, I suspect it'll be mildly different. But yeah, I mean, Doc Adams getting left off this ballot is egregious. It is, but at the same time, like if Doc Adams was on this ballot again, I wonder if there would just be too many strong candidates and the vote would just be split. It's, it's tough. Yeah, well, I mean that's that's absolutely a possibility. I mean, I'm already wondering. I mean, I I think Buck O'Neill should have a pretty good chance of getting in this time. I he's a name people know. Um, you know, he's everybody knows that he got robbed 15 years ago, um, and. I like to think he has a pretty good chance, but for the other six, you know, black candidates, like I could absolutely see them splitting the vote amongst themselves. And then even potentially somebody like, you know, if Phil Dolan got in, that's fine. But I could even see Ali Reynolds like going in off this ballot. And I don't know. Yeah. I ran a Twitter poll uh, of how people would vote for this ballot and the, the black candidates definitely did split their votes interestingly enough it was harris and scales who had an incredibly low number of votes which again they're, they're the ones from the 1920 to 1948 era and i was just surprised to see them overlooked so much maybe that's because there have been so many candidates chosen not so many candidates but the, the hall of fame negro league candidates tend to come from that era or inductees i should say tend to come from that era yeah, no, that could be. I mean, honestly, I'm still learning who Tubby Scales was. I, I don't actually know a ton about him beyond his name. I mean, that's, that is a great name, but I, <laughs> you know, um, he's another, another candidate who I, I really, I think I've looked at his numbers once or twice and on baseball reference. And I was 
you know, I was like, wow, this guy, I, I might've looked at him out. I looked at his numbers after you tweeted about how good they were, but uh, mm. yeah, he's definitely somebody I don't know a ton about. Yeah. And I hope that at the very least this ballot has people look into who he was. Cause I mean, uh, basically he was a 20 year career, second baseman, 147 OPS plus like, that's a hall of famer. I mean, there's, there's no way that's not a hall of famer. So it's, uh, there's a lot of players to learn about still. Let's go back to uh, Bill Dallin. Um, so he and Harry Stovey actually both got 50% of the vote last time uh, back in 2016. Dallin did even better in the 2013 pre-integration era uh, election. He was 10 out of 16, same votes as uh, Doc Adams got in 2016. So as I was looking at that 2013 ballot, I was hoping for a little inspiration because here were the results. Again, it's the same rules as there are now. There's 10 candidates, four votes each from the, uh, the 16 voters. So only 64 votes to go around. In that one, we did have four candidates get double digit votes. Yeah. O'Day got 15, Jacob Rupert got 15, Deacon White got 14. All three of them were elected. And then there was Dallin with 10. So can we perhaps take a little inspiration from that and hope that maybe we could get three or four inductees? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, you know, um, it sort of begs the question of why didn't Dolan then carry that over then to the next time he was on the ballot. Um, it's tough when you get just a, a small sample size of votes and voters. I mean, you know, it can be pretty variable, I mean, between different years. Um, and I, I haven't looked real closely at, at, at who the committee members were each of the years, but I mean, you know, it's, it's really hard to predict anything based on that. But I will say just the sheer number of times that Dolan's been up for consideration, his sabermetric stats, his support from people like John Thorne. I mean, I, I do think Dolan will get in at some point you know, it's just a question of when, and I, I don't really know if the focus will be on candidates like him this time, but the fact that he's one of just three white candidates on this ballot could really help his cause. If you get certain voters who are just like, no, you know, I thought we closed the book on the Negro leagues 15 years ago, but Hey, here's this guy, Bill Dolan, who, I mean, personally, I've always thought Dolan's numbers sort of remind me of Alan Trammell a little bit and Trammell getting in in the last few years that, that actually could help Dolan. So I don't know. Yeah, I think that that certainly could help him. He does have, perhaps, besides Buck O'Neill, the best quote-unquote name recognition on this ballot. So people have been thinking about him for longer. The only other time we had three inductees from one of these era committees was that time that Tory, Larusa, and Cox all got 100%. That was a weird one where there was three managers that took all of the votes and nobody else got any votes. Um, I would love to see three inductees from each of these i don't know if it'll happen but let, let's just go ahead for uh who would get your four votes from this ballot oh from this ballot yeah if i was mm -hmm. casting my four votes um i mean probably probably i mean buck o'neill is is for sure non-negotiable gonna vote for him vic harris is another who i think is is pretty indisputable even if he didn't do so well in that twitter poll you know i i, I do think uh he's he's somebody who's pretty worthy um, aside from that, I mean, Bill Dolan is, is a pretty clear Hall of Famer to me. So I, I'm tempted to go all four for Negro League contributors, just because I really think that's where the focus should be at this point. I mean, there's just, there's, there's 
probably a few dozen Hall of Famers who are not in among the Black baseball contributors. But that being said, I mean, Dolan is worthy, and I know he's worthy. So he's probably my third vote. And then as for the fourth, um, out of the rest of the ballot, um, let me see. I'm looking over this. I think I'd probably be fine with voting for Cannonball Redding. I mean, he's, he's another one of those ones who, you know, I mean, honestly, you throw a dart in any of those seven candidates, any of the seven black candidates are probably all Hall of Famers. So <sighs> pick any four of them and you're probably fine. But right. uh, Redding would probably be my fourth. It's, he's a good choice. Yeah, I think that my four, uh, Buck O'Neill is the easiest. Uh, it was, my two easy votes were going to be Buck and Doc but Doc is not on there. So I'm going to take my, my pioneer vote for Doc and give it to Bud Fowler. Um, and then I am going to say, I've put so much work into Bill Dolan. I got to vote for him when he's on the ballot, uh, even though I don't have a vote, obviously, clearly. So that leaves my last vote to go to one of the Negro League players. And like you said, a lot, so many of them you could pick. Uh, tempted to take Scales, tempted to take Vic Harris, but I am going to go a little bit older and I'm going to take Grant Home Run Johnson because I think he actually has some pretty good momentum. He he has come up a lot. I, maybe it's the great nickname, um, but he, <laughs> go figure, I think he's a very similar player to Dolan and Trammell. I think that the long career shortstop who hit well and fielded well, that's him. Uh, and I think that that type of candidate tends to, to struggle, but they are incredibly valuable players. So that, that would be my four votes. Yeah, I mean, Homer and Johnson definitely is one of those ones. I mean, I, I think he's in the Hall of Merit uh, through Baseball Think Factory, and he's one of those candidates that if you know him, you know him, and uh, you know, you know, you know, kind of how respected he is and everything. Mm-hmm. I will say that being said, I mean, mostly what I know about Homer and Johnson is that he was just a name that came up a lot when I was doing my project on the 50 best players, not in the Hall of Fame. So he's a candidate I would probably want to learn at least a little bit more about before I before I for sure voted for him. Yeah, Seamheads has quite a few box scores for him. I was impressed. A lot of them are from his later career. So I actually compared him to Joe Start just because we have a, a lot more uh data for his thirties than his prime, but that just speaks to how good his prime likely was. And Eric Shalak, who I had on the last episode, his MLEs have Grant Johnson. Uh, well, that they have his OPS knocked from like a one fifty, which Seamheads has down to like a one ten area, which is like Trammell and, and Dolan, but still over the, the length of his career that comes out to a 70 plus war player. So yeah. that to me feels, uh, it's almost conservative, yet still hallworthy. So I, I, yeah, I love him. We're going to move on to the golden days, unless you have anything else to say about the early baseball era. Uh, I mean, the only other thought I have is you're mentioning about Joe Start and how we don't have a lot of his stats when he's younger. It's funny. He's always seemed like kind of a Costco brand Cap Anson to me, just in terms <laughs> of his, his stats. But yeah, you forget that. He's one of those guys that it's like, yeah, you probably want to look pre-1871 with him if you can, you know, if you can find those numbers. I think it's it's so interesting. Like Joe Start, like he's not in any conversations here. I, I 100% think Joe Start is a Hall of Famer. Like, but he has zero momentum. Nobody talks about it. There are Hall of Famers still that we have not 
even come close to discussing on these oh. era committees. Oh. And it just shows us so much work to do. Yeah, and also how how restrictive having keeping it just down to ten candidates is. I mean, what what would be the harm in just creating like a thirty person ballot? You know, I mean, just you know, letting people vote their heart on stuff. I mean, you know, it's I don't know. Maybe they want it more focused to kind of create a higher chance of somebody getting in out of the candidates. But still, I there definitely there there's a bunch of good candidates who didn't make this ballot. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what would happen if it was like a 30 or so candidates and you get to vote for 10, like the BBWIA ballot. Yeah. Maybe I'll try that with my next Twitter poll. I, I, I like the sound of that. We could, yeah, we could, we could put together some sort of, some sort of poll too. <laughs> Love it. All right. So the Golden Days era ballot. I'm going to read the names here. A lot of these are not surprises. Dick Allen, Ken Boyer, Gil Hodges, Jim Cott, Roger Maris, Minnie Minoso. Danny Murtaugh, Tony Oliva, Billy Pierce, Maury Wills, all candidates that were very much on our radar for this, this, uh, this ballot. I think my biggest surprise might be Roger Maris. I mean, he has been a candidate before, but I was a little surprised to see him. Um, I have a short list of uh, candidates that I was a little bit surprised not to see, but I'm curious if you had any initial reactions first. Yeah, I mean, definitely this ballot is is not anywhere near as surprising as the early baseball ballot was. Um, you know, there's there's this isn't really this this ballot doesn't really it's 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 not too great or too terrible. Um, it's it's more or less what you could expect if you were going to put together a ballot from this this era. It's, it's it's perfectly competent. And what's interesting about it to me, I mean, almost every candidate in here you could to some extent, make a Hall of Fame case. Some of them you might not be totally correct, but most you could make some kind of a case for. I mean, my two favorite candidates off it are Dick Allen and Minnie Mignoso, but I mean, the other eight, I mean, they all have their supporters. I would much rather have all 10 of these candidates be Hall of Famers than none. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <clears throat> like, I mean, to me, Maury Wills isn't the greatest candidate, but I... I would have no problem with him being inducted. Danny Murtaugh might be the best non-Negro League manager uh, outside of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a short discussion. I mean, it's basically him or Steve O'Neill or one or two other guys who I don't care enough to think who they are. But, you know, somebody like a Gene Mock or right. oh, um, oh, Ralph Hoke, you know, somebody like that. Yeah, so... Um, for my my short list of surprises that we didn't see, I thought that Kurt Flood might have a little momentum given the Marvin Miller induction and the Ted Simmons induction speech. Uh, your thoughts on Kurt Flood being left off? Yeah, I mean, we we talked about that on a past uh, podcast where I sort of thought, hey, you know, Kurt Flood might have a chance, like, you know, this year because of Ted Simmons and yeah, or not Ted Simmons, excuse me, uh, yeah, Marvin Miller, moreover. I mean, Simmons didn't get in for being a labor pioneer, even though he he has sort of had a did have a small role in kind of the top line of the reserve clause. But yeah, no, I, I I thought Flood might have a chance, and yeah, no, it just goes to show it's hard to predict what's going to happen, you know, with these ballots. Mm -hmm. And uh, given the the Negro League theme of the early baseball era ballot, I thought that maybe. Um, this ballot might have an integration pioneer like Buzzy Bavese on it. Um, I think he has a, a pretty good case yeah. uh, for that, but he was not 
put on either. Yeah, no, but we, we've talked about Bavese before too. I mean, he's, he's definitely somebody, I mean, and he's been a veteran candidate before. Um, it'd be perfectly fine to have him up for consideration again. And I, I guess the one that hurt me more, um, cause he would be in my top four if he, if he was on this ballot is the, the recently deceased, which is a reason why I thought he might actually be on this ballot. Cause that seems to be what it takes, unfortunately, with the golden days era to, to get you considered and then elected is bill freehand. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I, I would have loved to have seen freehand up for consideration. I mean, you know, he, he's maybe not a hall of famer. He's got a borderline case, but he's absolutely somebody you can consider for it. And, you know, um, putting him on after, you know, in the year after, after, after he's passed. And it's, at the very least, it's, it's a mark of respect, but okay. yeah, no, it didn't happen. Yeah. Freehand is another one of my, uh, <clears throat> there's like these, these groups of similar candidates that I love, which I mentioned the the long career, good at everything, shortstops earlier with with Dolan and Trammell and and uh, home run Johnson, and another type is this shorter career, good at everything, cerebral uh, team leading catcher, uh, and with Buster Posey just announcing his retirement, I would put him in that group along with Thurman Munson, Bill Freehand. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean and. You know, Freehan was a key member of an iconic team, you know, the 60s Tigers. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, really, you know, one of, one of the best, um, you know, one of the best catchers really between probably 1950 and 1980. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a short conversation of, 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 of who your best star and Freehan's right up there. Certainly. So are there any other talking points from this ballot or should we go into who we would vote for? Um, I guess it comes down to, do you try to honor the living or do you, do you go with the very best candidates? Because, you know, um, one thing the Hall of Fame pointed out in, in, in its press release is basically Jim Pat, Tony Oliva, Maury Wells, those are the living candidates. Everybody else has since passed on and Kata, Leva, and Wells, I'd be fine with any of them being in, but I do not think they're the, they're the absolute cream of the crop. I, I think Dick Allen is almost by far the best candidate on this ballot, and then I think Minnie Minoso, Minnie Minoso is, is, is number two. Um, you could argue even that he's number one, but, uh, but to me, they're the two worthiest candidates on this ballot, but you almost it's almost ethically is, is it, is it better to maybe look past and in favor of one of the three candidates who is still living and almost certainly five years from now, at least one, if not all three of those men will probably have passed on. And so this, this is a chance to honor one of them while you still, while you still have a small chance. This is what makes me go back to that previous note about 2013 and how I really want there to be three or more inductees. Cause I think, I think Allen and Minoso are going in. I do think that. I think the time is right for both of them. I think they're both grossly overqualified and I think they have to make it, but that does mean we are going to have two recently deceased candidates. I mean, it's not even like they've been long deceased. They, they were up for uh, the last ballot when they were alive and they were not selected and they came close and it was terrible. So I think honoring them along with 
honoring at least one more living candidate to make sure that doesn't happen again would be the ideal solution. So while my top four, I have to rethink my top four because Freehand would have been in it. My merit-based top four would be Alan, Minoso, Boyer, and then I have to pick a new fourth one. It would probably be Pierce or maybe even Murtaugh. Um, but since Boyer is maybe a rung below Alan and Minoso, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'll be okay with casting him to the side just for now, picking Alan Minoso, and then I'm gonna go with who I believe is the best of the living candidates, Tony Oliva. I almost have him on par with, with some of the, the other candidates I mentioned. And then I think Jim Cott would be a, a worthy selection as well. So that would be my four is Cott and Oliva going with Alan and Minoso. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that, that I think that's my four as well. Um, you know, basically Alan and Minoso, like that's pretty non-negotiable for me. Um, and I, I feel reasonably good about Alan's chances. I'm, I'm a bit more curious to see how Minoso does. To me, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. I just, I'm not, I guess I get pessimistic on these things in general. Like mm -hmm. I, I didn't really think that Marvin Miller was going in the last time. And he's, he's somebody who I long wanted to be a Hall of Famer. Same with Ted Simmons, you know, Ted, Ted Simmons is another person who I always kind of hoped he'd get in the Hall of Fame, never really expected it to happen. Um, and the Hall of Fame can do weird stuff too. I mean, yeah, Harold Baines, when he got in, I had no idea that was coming down the pike. And I mean, I've, I've been okay with it just to the extent mostly that I would rather the Hall of Fame be putting people in, uh, even if it yields occasional bad candidates than be putting in no living candidates. I just, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think your four is the same as my four for this. All right. And I... I think now it's time to make the prediction of what we think will actually happen yeah. on each of these. Uh, do you want to go first or should I? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I'm going to be pessimistic here. I think Buck O'Neill is going in off the early baseball ballot. And I think Dick Allen is going in off the, off the, the, you know, the golden, the golden days uh, a ballot. Um, I, I think other candidates will come close. Uh, I could see Manny Mignosa falling a voter too short. I could see Bell Dolan falling a voter too short. I could see any of the other six black candidates aside from Buck O'Neill. I could see any of them getting some serious traction potentially. Maybe not any of them, but several of them, you know, could do relatively well. But I'm just not super optimistic about there being large classes in either of these. Mm -hmm. Early baseball, I think it'll be Buck O'Neill and Dolan. Uh, I think Dolan will have a little bit more name recognition while the African-American candidates split the vote a little too much. And I think that's going to be too bad because now that these players are finally considered again, O'Neill, I don't think is getting in as a player, obviously. He's getting in because of the ambassador that he was. And I think it'll it's going to be too bad to have these players finally eligible again, but then not have one go in. So maybe that will be the thing that says, maybe we should do this group every five years. That's what I'm holding out for. Um, in terms of the golden days, this is hard to predict because I feel like Allen is number one, absolutely has to like, he was a vote shy and passed away. And I think that that is like 
number one. Minoso was a little bit more, a few votes behind him. I think he absolutely should go, but I, I, I'm going to change my prediction. I think they are going to try to focus on living candidates. And I think that Oliva and Cott might get in with uh, Alan. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could see that happening. That'd be, that'd be cool if it did, honestly. I mean, Oliva and Cott wouldn't make the Hall of Fame any, any appreciably worse. I mean, and, mm. you know, um, at least in terms of sabermetrics. And, you know, if, if you look at it, um, you know, in, in terms of kind of non, non-sabermetric sort of stuff, I mean, you have Oliva, a batting champion of the 1960s, uh, you know, basically a poor man's Roberto Clemente uh, to some extent. And then, You've got Jim Cott with sort of a like a, a Tommy John or a Ted Lyons-esque sort of case. I mean, you know, it's it's fine. I mean, the Hall of Fame has a place for candidates like this. Cott's been a lifelong, you know, baseball man. I I I don't I wouldn't be upset if he got in. I'd <clears throat> maybe he doesn't stack up sabermetrically, but I'm really not that concerned about it. Oh yeah, no, indeed. <clears throat> He's the kind of guy too. This this might sound sort of subjective, but he's the sort of guy who I could picture sitting up there on the dais on induction day, and he wouldn't look at all out of place. It just right. it would it'd be that would be where he's supposed to be, you know. Yeah. Also, say <laughs> I've I've talked to Cott before um, uh, a couple of times. He even actually called me his friend once, which was was really cool. Um, nice. But uh, he is very cynical about this process, or at least he has been in the past. So I. It, it would be fun to see his reaction if, if he does finally get in, you know, and to see what his speech would be like, because he's, he's, he's just one of those, he's one of those candidates who's just been up a whole heck of a lot of times. And, you know, I think he's in his eighties now and it's just, you know, it, it would be nice to see, to see, you know, to see a, a change of pace, you know. It hurts me to predict that they might go in <clears throat> at the expense of Minioso, but if, Maybe Mini Minioso is that reason why the, the voters stop and think, let's stop doing this. Let's stop putting people in after they pass away. And if that gets them the vote, I'm okay with it. Well, devil's advocate too. Think about if Allen and Cott and Oliva all get in this time. That means the next time this ballot rolls around, like Mini Minioso is in a class by himself. And right. If she really helped him, that might be what needs to happen to really get him in. That's true, because he will be the candidate left that has far more momentum than anyone. So I think, and that might be uh, when Ken Boyer finally gets a decent look, because he really hasn't. Yeah, and at some point in the future, I'll be curious when they finally consolidate all the pre-1970 candidates into one ballot. I I don't think we're quite there yet, but it'll be interesting if if it gets to that point eventually. Yeah, that's a good point. I could see that happening in a, in a decade or so though. I think that there are still this handful that you need to get in uh, specifically Alan Minioso. I would put Ken Boyer in that group, but I could see them doing that. Yeah. I, 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 sh- I, I should mention too. Yeah. With Ken Boyer. I mean, he's another guy who, if he got in, it'd be, it would be perfectly fine. I mean, he, he's, he's got somewhat of a comparable case to Ron Santo. I mean, he's, you know, he was uh, another another iconic player. Uh, you know, big part of the the Cardinals' run. Uh, you know, when they they became a championship team in the '60s, um, it'd be fine to you know to, to have him have him in there. 
Well, the only silver lining of any of these guys not getting in is that it means we are still able to discuss them episode after episode, because uh, that is my favorite thing, talking about veterans committee candidates that are not in the Hall of Fame. And I'm so glad that you're willing to do that with me. Um, so I want to thank you again for coming on. And we will speak again uh, after the December 5th announcement to react to the actual election. But uh, Graham, anything uh, you got in the works that you want to tell the listeners about? Uh, no, um, Hall of Fame wise, it's kind of a kind of a wall in the action. I, I, I wrote a newspaper article recently about the best uh, candidates in the Sacramento area um, or, or, you know, who are connected to Sacramento. So, I mean, one who could have maybe made the early baseball ballot, but he's He's far off the radar as Stan has, uh, but uh, yeah, no, aside from that, nothing, nothing too much going on with, uh, with baseball writing right now, but I'll definitely have stuff in the future. I, I will do that book at some point. Uh, it has to happen. Nice. I do like Stan Hack. He's really interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, it's interesting. It's, uh, you know, there's, he's one of those guys who's far off the radar, but you know, he could have a case guys like him, Wally Shang, uh, you know, um, definitely uh, Jimmy Ryan. I mean, you know, just names that are just so far beyond what this year's ballot is. Um, but, you know, if, if, if they come up again, it'd, it'd, be, it'd be a fun conversation. Absolutely. Well, yep, we will talk again after this is announced. And then next season and season two, we're going to focus on the today's game era, which is going to be an interesting one because a lot of the players who are in their 10th year now uh, on the BBWA ballot this winter will be eligible, uh, I believe, for that ballot. I think there's still just the 10-year waiting period to move to that second ballot. Uh, yeah, because that's what, um, although Trammell did the full 15 years. I'll have to look into that. I don't know. This this ballot might have Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling on it. It might not. I'll have to look yeah, into that. I mean, that we'll, we'll want to look into it. I'm not sure if you can be a BBWA candidate and a, and a veteran candidate in the same year, um, but uh, that's definitely worth something to look into. Well, yeah, it would technically be one calendar year later, but yeah. I think they might actually have you uh, uh, delay it by one year. Absolutely. But anyway, we'll find out and I'll, I'll get back to you all about that. So thank you so much, Graham. I hope you have a wonderful evening and uh, we'll chat soon. That's good. Uh, talk to you soon.